Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Broadway Podcast Network presents Giants in the Sky. How Sondheim and Lapine went into the woods. With me, Ben Rimmelauer. Today's guest, R.J. Cutler, assistant to the director on Broadway and in the final workshop. Once upon a time. R.J. Cutler worked as assistant director to James Lapine on Into the Woods on Broadway and in its final workshop. Other theater work early in his career included directing shows at Playwrights Horizons and the New York Theater Workshop, as well as early incarnations of Marcia Norman and Lucy Simon's The Secret Garden and Jonathan Larson's Superbia. He then went on to a major career as a documentary filmmaker, producing the Oscar-nominated The War Room, the Emmy-nominated A Perfect Candidate, the Sundance Award-winning The September Issue, and the Peabody Award-winning Listen to Me, Marlin, The World According to Dick Cheney, and Thin. On television, he created such landmark programs as the Emmy-winning American High, Freshman Diaries, and 30 Days, as well as conceiving and directing the scripted series Nashville. He also directed the feature film If I Stay, and created, wrote, directed, and produced the Webby award-winning podcast The Oval Office Tapes. Cutler's most recent work includes Belushi, Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry, and the Apple Plus series Dear, which has profiled icons such as Spike Lee, Gloria Steinem, Misty Copeland, Stevie Wonder, and Viola Davis. I'm a big fan of all the work you've done since Into the Woods. So I know how busy you are, and I'm extremely grateful that you would chat with me. Um, and, uh, well, I appreciate that it was so long ago, and I'm sure your uh, memories are are hazy. I, I think the fact that you were um, 
well, you're younger now than the people that were the, you know, quote unquote, grownups on the show at the time. And, and you were certainly young and it was, you know, I would imagine somewhat of a formative experience. So I'm very curious to get, you know, the impressions that stayed with you and the memories over the years. Um, of course, of course. And I mean, uh, it, was, it was, it was as formative an experience as any I've had and, and indirectly it, uh, it it led to the career I have as a documentary filmmaker because uh, Wendy Ettinger, who is the sister of of um, Rocco of, of of Heidi Ettinger, who was one of the producers, and her then husband Rocco Landisman, who's another one of the producers and one of the theater owners uh, um, and partner in the Dodgers, who managed uh, uh, the production. Um, Wendy was my producing partner on, on into on, on uh, the War Room, which was the first film that uh, uh, I ever produced, and and she was the person who I reached out to when I thought you know there was a, a documentary to be made about Bill Clinton's 1992 presidential campaign, and she and 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 I I wouldn't have known her had uh, had I not had a friendship forged through into the woods with. Uh, with Heidi and Rocco. So there you wow. go. Well, what Academy Awards later, and then it all started with Into the Woods. Um, tell me, going back before uh, you were working on Into the Woods, were you like a, a Sondheim nerd already? What what was your your background when this came into your life? You know, it's funny. I was a I was a theater kid who uh, had had graduated from Harvard a few years earlier. And um, or maybe a couple of years earlier, and was working at the American Repertory Theater in in Cambridge, Bob Brustein's theater at the time. And Bob was a mentor of mine. And uh, and and you know, for us, Broadway was uh, was was the the you know the, the devil in a way. And not that, <laughs> I don't want to overstate it, but Broadway was the the commercial theater was the enemy. We were we we uh, worshipped at the altar of the the American Regional Theater and and uh, uh, the not-for-profit theater and uh, 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 commerce was the the last thing we were taught to to care about. Um, in fact, uh, uh, Bob had had rules about you know allowing the New York Times to even come and see productions at the American Repertory Theater and. Uh, um, but he also was the mentor to uh, Rocco Landisman uh, and and uh, Heidi Ettinger and uh, who he had um, I think he uh, yeah Heidi had been at Yale as a as a uh, design student and uh, um, and Rocco uh, had been at Yale as, as a dramaturgy student and and Bob was very important in in their lives as well and and they were producing into the woods on Broadway and knew that James Lapine the um the director of into the woods needed an assistant and they reached out to Bob to see if he knew any any bright young uh aspiring directors who might be interested and he recommended me and uh, and I had been uh, in spite of my <laughs> my snobbery born of my relationship with Bob Brustein, uh, I, I had been a fan of the musical theater and, and, and as, as a high school student and in my non-Harvard kind of uh, heart um, or my non-ART heart, 
the musical theater was in incredibly important to me. And I directed musicals in high school and, uh, um, and, and, one of the people who worked at the community theater where I did my high school shows was a man named Michael Starobin. Wow. And Mike, yeah. And <laughs> Michael was one of the older guys who was a, and it was a, a music theater uh, a genius. And, and he would play in the orchestra. I directed the Three Penny Opera when I was in high school and Michael Starobin was in the orchestra. Wow. And so too was Phil Granger, who you would know as the flugelhorn player in the in the orchestra of, of Sunday in the park with George because Phil and Michael were like were besties and Michael would go on to become the other orchestrator the non-John Tunic orchestrator right. of Stephen Sondheim's work um and 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 and, and so and Michael also was the music director who worked very closely with a, a young brilliant composer lyricist named Will Bill Finn. And one night Michael told said, come to New York. I was a junior in high school. He said, come to the city. There's a 10 o'clock performance of a, of a, a, a musical called uh, In Trousers wow. by, by this guy I've been working with. And I went, we, we, my friends and I, we went into the city. We went to Playwrights Horizons on 42nd Street and the, you know, before the transformation, long before the transformation and the in the old theater upstairs, even before the old theater was renovated. And we climbed <laughs> the stairs and we went, we saw In Trousers starring Chip Zion and, uh, uh, and um, uh, Mary starring Testa. Chip and Mary Testa and Allison Fraser. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, it was a life-changing experience. Well, Michael Starobin then went on with Bill Finn uh, and James Lapine to do uh, uh, March of the Falsettos, sure. which which was um, uh, you know a revelation in the music theater world, and uh, and and a Frank Rich uh, uh, hit, you know, mm -hmm. like a hit, like I, I don't think any of us had ever. Frank was you know stretching his uh, uh what would you say uh flexing his muscles to make that to <laughs> recognize the genius of mm. of uh of uh, march of the falsettos uh, which was the in a way the uh, um a sequel to in in trousers you know it, it was it was the uh same same characters and you know um anyway i took an interest uh in the work of james lapine as a result of that and I remembered him as well as the writer and director of um, a play my parents had brought me to see, which was called Table Settings. Mm -hmm. When I had seen that, maybe I was in ninth or 10th grade. And, you, you know, it was a Jewish family sitting around the dinner table being being Jews. And it was hilarious. And it was our family. You know, it was everyone's family. I mean, James captured something incredible then. And so I was really intrigued Intrigued enough to ignore my, you know, my snobbery, uh, and and uh, and go to New York and take the meeting with James Lapine uh, and and Heidi Landisman to be James's assistant, and uh, and you know, I guess the meeting went well because he offered me the job, and and uh, that's how I got involved. So this was they had just uh, done the show at the Old Globe in San Diego. That's right. And they were getting ready for Broadway. Do you remember like what? For a workshop. 
It was oh, an August. Yes. It was an August workshop in which uh, Betty Buckley was starring as the witch. Um, most of the rest of the cast was was uh, assembled, as I recall, and uh, and their Betty and her dog were were a uh, a presence. I, I was in charge of walking the dog frequently, um, and uh, and we did this. We did it. Maybe it was a two week workshop, two three week workshop uh, uh, that was that that um, at the end of which the opening on Broadway was kind of confirmed. Um, although everybody knew that that was coming. So I'm so curious about this. It was workshop. like a backers audition because where, you know, workshops in those days were different, different union rules. And they were a little, a lot more loosey goosey, but it was, we were down on, you know, in Michael Bennett's studio, um, uh, down on Broadway and um, on Lower Broadway, and you know, I had never—I mean, I worked in the theater and I had done a lot with 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 Bob, and I had worked at the ART for a couple of years, and um, but uh, but there we were on Broadway. It was a whole, it was a whole other thing. Yeah. So I mean, I've I've heard different things about this workshop, and of course, you know, there's nothing about it um, anywhere online, which is part of the reason that. I'm doing this podcast is because mm. you know, the story of this landmark musical is somewhat lost to the ages. Um, mm. But so I, I understand that, as you said, it was a couple of weeks in August and I mean, Broadway previews started in September. So that was real close. Oh, then maybe it was, was it in August then? Maybe it was, well, in it June. could have been July, but I mean, it was, yeah, it was, yeah. It was, there was about six weeks of, of, of Broadway, Broadway, Preview started in September. That's right, because the 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 invited dress was on my birthday, which was September twenty eighth. So there you go. Wow. Uh, I I remember. I, yeah, I do, I do remember that. And so yeah, maybe we started rehearsing mid August. So maybe the workshop was the, the June early July, and there were a few weeks off. That's yeah, that, and that, so that makes sense. And during that period, one day James called and said that Bernadette had. Uh, uh, something had changed in her schedule, or maybe something had changed with Betty. We she we knew that we knew that Bernadette became available in a way that she hadn't. Uh, roses were being sent. Is my is my lots and lots of roses were being sent to Bernadette. Um, and uh, this is amazing. You've already <laughs> unlocked a door for me because you know one of the great things <laughs> that I've wondered about from uh for the from the beginning of this is how is it that um, the Sondheim-Lapine collaboration on the heels of the Pulitzer Prize winning success of Sunday in the Park with George, a personal triumph for Bernadette Peters in that role that, you know, she's still iconic in all these years later. And through three years of readings and workshops and a production at the Old Globe, weeks before Broadway previews, they were in a workshop with Betty Buckley. How is it that Bernadette was such a last minute thing? And for you to say that something changed in her schedule where she became available. That's my memory is that, uh, that's my memory is that her, that she became available. And also my memory, not too specific was that uh, was the, 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 everything wasn't smooth sailing with, with uh, Betty. Um, yes. My memory of it was that there was a there was a certain amount of conflict um, and frustration, but it's hard. I, I wish I had a, a story to tell. Um, uh, she was very nice to me, you know, <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I was I was walking the dog. 
So, um, but I, it was like it, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't all. Uh, uh, everything changed when suddenly Bernadette was available, yes. and and the certainty. I mean, the certainty of it, and and of, I mean, look, they had just, they just had this incredible triumph uh, with with uh, uh, Sunday, and um, so why wouldn't it have? Um, why wouldn't everybody have? you know, taking a huge sigh of relief. Uh, um, but more than that, incredible excitement. I mean, James was, yeah. I didn't know him well at the time, but he was, uh, it, it, you know, it, he was probably as excited as any single, you know, moment work related in his life. I mean, it was a, uh, it was it was a big deal. And, and I remember Rocco telling me he was sending, you know, three dozen roses. Uh, to Bernadette, there were they it, obviously negotiation had to happen and everything like that. But once they knew, and and there you go. I mean, so uh, aside from even the Betty aspect of it, like with Bernadette, um, because there have been people talking about um, some people had floated the idea that she had been um, obviously considered, and even talked about how she had come to see the show not only to this workshop in the summer, mm -hmm. but even in San Diego. Um, and that there, on one hand, people were saying that she would never, um, do this part because it was too small. And then other people said, no, that the intention aside from casting just dramaturgically was always to make it, uh, to beef up the role more. Do, do well, the, the, the song, the songs to come. Yeah. Listen, the, 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 the bar had been set as we know about the songs to come, um, I'm working now with James. I'm making a film, a, a, an adaptation of his, uh, a, a documentary based on his oral history of the making of Sunday in the Park. Oh, uh, incredible! Um, so yeah, yeah, we're and and using all the all the uh, tapes that of the interviews that he did for the oral history. So it's very very exciting, and we're um, it's it's unannounced, but it's 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 happening. Um, and, and, uh, uh, you know, listen, the, so the, the, the legend had been established. I mean, Steve showing up t twice, not first in the workshop for act one, and then in the, in, on, during previews for, for the, the final songs in act two, um, that he delivered, that was always kind of woven in Steve's still writing, Steve's still writing, Steve's gonna, and, and the last midnight was the, right, was the final song that yeah. came and, and waiting for the last midnight was, you know, and the expectation was that these songs were going to be as show changing as, um, as they were in Sunday. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so, and, and that they were going to add to, um, to Bernadette's character and to, you know, so, so there was that I, I would, my recollection is that, yes, dramaturgically, it was always anticipated that the role would beef up. And certainly when, when uh, uh, Bernadette took it, and it, but by the way, this may have been part of the conflict with Betty. She may have been, uh, uh, you know, she may, I don't, I don't, again, I don't remember uh, enough to remember was she complaining about the size of the role. But um, the other thing about Bernadette that I remember is that though the role was small, uh, you know, James would say to me, just wait, just wait until the audience comes, just wait and see what happens. And I was like, what? And he said, you'll see. 
And um, and first preview, it was like it took over. She took over the show, and the and the songs weren't the the new song wasn't in at that point. Yeah. Um, and and it just was this the the way she, I mean, she grew. 10 feet it was I, I had never seen anything like it it's 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 theater theater star magic yeah and uh, uh she was she was larger than life and the audience response was was uh, um uh you know uh i i i don't want to say it was deafening that would overstate it but it was it was like a roar of of laughter when when she came out and you know and the transformation at the end of Act One, right, or whatever, yeah. the second midnight, uh, I think, the, right. the transformation. Uh, no, it's the third midnight. Transformation. She comes out and she's young again. I mean, you, I had never experienced something like it, and certainly had never experienced it in the workshop or in the in the rehearsal room, or obviously during uh, uh, tech rehearsals. But when there was an audience, it. Uh, she grew the part just by virtue of being Bernadette. It's interesting. I mean, I there's a um, YouTube video of like an invited um, uh, rehearsal for the press still uh, still at 890 Broadway. Wow. And um, it's and watching Bernadette do uh, like the greens rap in that sequence. Um, having been so familiar with her performance on the broadcast video and on the cast uh -huh. recording where she's so hilarious yeah. and it's much less funny in this. And it was interesting to think that was something that, and I think partly from the audience itself, as you describe, and certainly I would imagine in rehearsal too. Um, but because I've often- She was working, she was working, you know, yeah. she was she was making it. She was making it and she knew, and she had a director who knew, a director yeah. who trusted her and, and I, the reason James would say something to me is because I would, I probably was asking, yeah, you know, is is that the, is that what we're is that where this is is this the performance, yeah, and I but I remember a, a, more than one conversation where he was like, just wait, just wait, <laughs> it I'm all curious. it happens, it happens, it happens when it happens, which is of course a a, a great great lesson for me. For the last time, I am not on Ozempic. I made one little joke on this podcast, and everybody started calling me out, texting me, calling me cringe, whatever. I really was asked by people if I was on Ozempic, and as I told them, I am not. I am just eating factors, no prep, no mess meals, okay? Warmer, sunnier days are coming. Fire Island season is here. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine what are you waiting for with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week you'll always have new flavors to explore 
crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. And kitchen time is kept to a minimum. They are ready in two minutes. No shopping, no prepping, no cooking, no cleanup. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or just simply to eat well balanced. Head to factormeals.com slash giants in the sky 50 and use code giants in the sky 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code giants in the sky 50 at factormeals.com slash giants in the sky 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm curious about how the intentions for the role shifted. I mean, I have not succeeded in getting Betty to talk to me for this podcast yet, but she did um, an extensive interview for Eddie Shapiro's book, Nothing Like a Dame, where she talked about Mm. this experience, obviously her perspective. What did she say? What did she say? What did she say? You know, and how she chooses (laughs) to portray it or whatever. But she uh, talked only of artistic differences. I mean, she talked about how much she respected Lapine and what great friends they are and, to this oh day. yeah, and he and he, you know the, the more legend, but he's uh, as the story goes, right? He was a huge help to her with her character in Cats. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, which yeah. which and was a great, a great friend to her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, but she talks in that book about um, essentially saying that they saw the role in different ways, and that the ultimate, with some satisfaction, I imagine, on her part, as she describes it the way the role ultimately was came home to what Betty had conceived. And mm. she talks about Lapine seeing the um, witch Rapunzel relationship as a lesbian relationship. Mm. And she thought it was an abusive mother. And um, at first I thought when I read that book, she's either she misunderstood what James Lapine said, or he meant it in some sort of, um, you know, uh, allegorical way or something. Uh, but then uh, watching the like bootleg videos from the old Globe production with Ellen Foley, it did seem more like that. And of course, I realized that the witch is not Rapunzel's mother. It's actually could be, con- you know, considered like her ward, like Sweeney mm-hmm. Todd, like with the judge with mm-hmm. Joanna. And mm. so I started to think, oh, maybe Betty was actually describing what Lapine had in mind at that time, and it had shifted. Do you remember anything along those lines being in the discussion? I, unfortunately, I don't. I don't. I'm sure James will speak, can speak to it. I have no... Uh... He was very tight-lipped about Betty. I don't know if he was being diplomatic, or, but I didn't sure get much from him on that. I'm but... sure he was. Listen, I'm sure it was a difficult... It, yeah. it, was, it couldn't have been an easy transition. It wasn't, you know, um, it... it, it uh, as I say, there was absolute certainty that my recollection is that there was absolute certainty that this was that this was uh, uh, the right thing to do and an opportunity that couldn't be passed and that it was best yeah. for everything, best for the show. And of course, that turned out to be the case. 
Um, and those those changes are always difficult in any, you know. Uh, of course, and, uh, I'm interested, you know, but I don't you. remember. I don't remember the dramaturgy of the of of the witch's character yes. um, in the context you're talking about, or even just broadly speaking. I mean, we talked about the comedy that Bernadette seems to have developed in rehearsal, and then, of course, in front of the audience. Do you, when you would have those conversations with Lapine, was the intention for there to be a lot of comedy in that character, and it just you know because it, it's it's it's, it's more than the comedy. It's the it's the connection. It's that the, on some level she's the you know the, look you're relating to everybody in that show. You're you're the Cinderella in us all is relating to Kim, and the 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 Jack in us all and. Or that Jack's mother are 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 relating, you know, to 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 uh, uh, Bryn. What was her uh, um, Barbara? Jack's Bryn. mother, Barbara Bryn, bless her, and 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 to Ben, and and, and you know the the and you're relating to the to to Chip and Joanna. You're 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 entering through them all, but somehow it was Bernadette who kind of became a in a way a conduit it was it was a connection to the audience that meant laughter but it also meant pathos in this in the second act so it, it's it's and when the song came in uh in spite of the fact that what I, I you know I don't believe it was it, it, compared to the impact that the songs in in Sunday had when they came in um uh you know it, it she made it. She she made it certainly as great and impactful as it could possibly be, and that's what happened. So it wasn't just that the comedy right. was being developed; it was all of it. It was it was uh, it was all of that star power that mm -hmm. um, you know that 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 uh, uh, was forming. Um, okay, and I want to ask you so many things about all the changes to the show and everything, but but so forgive me if I'm belaboring that this one cast. No, change. we can talk about all of it. I, it, it to the extent that I remember it, I'm happy to talk about. Thank it Thank you. I very much appreciate that. <laughs> um, so okay, like because this is an area where there's been a lot of different things that have been said to me, ranging from another thing Betty said in that Eddie Shapiro book is that um, negotiations broke down and uh, for her to do the show on Broadway and that it, she was then sort of shunned in the business afterward for not having taken the last best offer, like that she mm. thought she was too good for what they were asking her to do and that, you know, that was high and mighty of her or whatever. Um, mm. The opposite, uh, people have claimed absolutely not. Betty was fired and her contract was terminated. Um, and I do know that just to ring a bell for you, I don't know if this is in your current memory, but something I learned doing this was that um, for Broadway, this is as an aside, Burke Moses had been cast as Rapunzel's Prince. Um, mm -hmm. And then when Bob Westenberg was busy with matinees and stuff of the production of The Crucible, I think he was doing in DC, they said for the workshop, uh, Burke would play the wolf and Cinderella's prince and his understudy Jeff Blumenkrantz would be Rapunzel's prince. And then they were so unhappy with Burke that they fired him and uh, he was paid off his Broadway contract, as he told me. And then um, Chuck Wagner, who had done Rapunzel's prince at the Old Globe was cast for Broadway. But so, you know, according to the people that claim Betty was fired, presumably that was the case. And then, I mean, as a matter of fact, one person even claimed that cast member that um, 
that Bernadette was not at the first Broadway rehearsal, that Betty started Broadway rehearsals, was fired, and then Bernadette came in. And I kept saying, maybe you think that because it was the same studio at 890 Broadway, maybe it had the same tape on the floor, maybe it's it's hard to remember. You were already in costume fittings during the workshop, so maybe it seems in your memory. Like he said, no, no, absolutely not. Bernadette didn't start rehearsals. And of course it was 1987, Nowadays, playbill.com, everybody would have been announced, you know, before it all went down. But so do you have a memory of the timing, for example, of when? My, my memory is that it happened between the workshop and the and, yeah. and rehearsals. That, I, you know, if you told me it didn't, I wouldn't fight with you because it's, <laughs> it's a long time ago. Yeah. But my memory of what happened now, almost 40 years ago, is that that uh, between the workshop and the uh, and the start of of rehearsals for the Broadway production, uh, the change was made and flowers were sent. Those are the things I remember, and I remember James being very uh, James being very excited about it. The Dodgers being very excited sure. about it. I understand? Rocking I mean, in addition to I, the I, triumph I, in Sunday in the Park, the season before Into the Woods, Bernadette had won the Tony in Song and Dance. I mean, they're you know and and, and, and on know, and on and on so and, and, um you know so, and then a, a lot uh, of people uh, have talked about yeah. how they were given um it was two separate contracts but they were given them at the same time for the workshop mm. and for the broadway production um mm -hmm. which kind of seems to like support the betty you know negotiation breaking down that other people uh, contradict was there any is is it possible in your mind that Betty's telling the truth and that negotiation? Oh, I don't know. I really down? I can't. I, I I don't have any any opinion gotcha. whatsoever. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't. No, no, I don't. please. I, 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 you're reminding me. You're reminding me that that um, when it came time to figure out what they were going to pay me, Michael David sat me down. He was like, "Now this isn't the subsidized regional theater." <laughs> We're not going to be able to afford the kind of money you were making. You know, I was probably making three hundred dollars a week. You know, at, at, <laughs> too uh, rich for at the end. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're just trying to put on a show here. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. Oh, right. <laughs> but I don't remember. I don't remember anybody else's. Uh, um, uh, I, I don't remember anything about about other than what I've told you about okay. the change. And then branching off from that change into the actual substantive changes to the show um one thing that i've heard from a lot of people oh sorry one more question about the transition um several people have mentioned in between the workshop and the first broadway rehearsal that there was a reading one afternoon at a townhouse um where it was the entire cast including bernadette which was where many cast members uh found out danielle ferlin said that was when she found out Bernadette was the witch. She came to this reading uh, at a townhouse. Betty wasn't there. Bernadette was there. Paul Ford has talked about this townhouse uh, reading. Does that ring a bell? Uh, yeah, maybe. 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 And, also, and Rocco and Rocco made a little speech beforehand mm. where, he talk, where he talked about his, as I, I'm remembering, he Rocco made a speech welcoming everybody. Maybe it was a backers audition or something. Mm. Um and it's funny, you know, I, it's nothing I've thought about in 40 years, but yeah. My, yeah, he made a speech about what it was like growing up in St. Louis as a lover of the theater and what this production meant to him. Mm. And, you know, that that's what my memory of that of, of that day that's coming back is. 
And then also about the presentations in that workshop, I've heard different things. There was three different performances of the workshop or two. There was uh, different endings where the baker's wife died or didn't die, how Maybe. she died. Maybe, yeah, that, that all rings true. Yeah. That's as much <laughs> as I can give you, but that all rings true. There were lots of changes. There were changes every night. James would come come in every day with pages that needed to be typed that I that, and that was, you know, one of my jobs. But he he, you know, his day was halfway done when rehearsal would end because he wasn't just the director. He was, you know, he was the writer as well. And then he was he was staging scenes. But um, but so much of the workshop was about the script work. Yeah. Um, and 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 exploring different changes. But I can't. I, I don't I don't remember the various uh, permutations. And uh, I mean, so talk to me about the process of you working with James, like you described. So would he give you handwritten script pages and you would type those? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's my yes, that is my memory. And and we I would type them there. Uh, you know, there was a early Apple, you know, an early Macintosh somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. uh, uh, and a and a a a, a, a dot matrix right. printer, and uh, the pages would come out and right and was it Frank Hartenstein was the stage manager yeah. right Frank yeah. and Joe, Joe, um, uh, Jonna Murray right yes yes. Mm -hmm. yes I mean these were you know I was a kid I was a kid these guys were the were the pros and um, so you know I, I'm sure it was no different than than uh, uh, anybody else in, in, in as a, as an assistant uh, i was i was typing up the pages distributing them uh, you know my favorite james knows that i i i uh, reference this a lot and have over the years uh, the fact that um uh, w one of the great lessons he taught me was that um, if he needed something done, he would say, you know, go down to the go down to the wig shop and tell them I just I'm, I'm upstairs yelling and I'm throwing things around because I need the wigs, you know, and and uh, you don't tell them I'm, I'm not not you know, just tell them I am. And and I'd go down and say, James is freaking out. He's freaking out. And I was like, that's so smart. Because he doesn't waste any extra, you know, he doesn't have to freak out. All he has to do is tell me to tell people that uh, that uh, that um, that he is freaking out. And so I, <laughs> I will, I will imply, employ that trick. It's a good one. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so one another thing that Betty supposedly complained about, and that was the song uh, "Boom Crunch" that came mm. or "Last Midnight" came in, which I understand happened during previews and. Um, other people have described Bernadette struggling with boom crunch also, um, and that there was like, was there a sense that boom crunch had to go? Did you think that, you know, from the beginning, was that what they were talking about, that that was a problem, that song? You... My, my big memory is 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 that uh, was just, again, waiting, waiting for, is the song in today, is the song in today, and I think it, it literally came at the last, given the rehearsal uh, schedule during previews and when the critics were coming, it came the last second. Um, and, uh, but I don't, I don't remember debate over a boom crunch or, or yeah. Because like in the, in the wonderful putting it together, um, Lapine book on Sunday in the Park with George, talking about the songs you referenced, Move On and Lesson Number Eight, uh, I think Children and Art maybe also, that there was blank 
you know, that there was just like a song comes here. Yes, that's right. But, song. Right. But we didn't have that option. Or if we had the option, that's not what we, that's right. The songs replaced other songs. Yeah. Uh, or the song replaced another song. Right. Um, and then uh, the other thing that um, I guess is sort of legendary at this point is the song Second Midnight that, you know, I had that bonus track on the reissued CD for years and just ignored it because I thought it was just going to be the little, what you know, the platitudes, you know, for 90 seconds. But, you know, apparently it's this eight minute um, elaborate, like full company musical number that was only in for one performance. Do you remember anything about that? Nope, nope. And I don't. <laughs> I have to send you that track. But I will tell you that the original preview, the uh, the night, you know, the invited dress was about three and a half hours long. Wow. Things were, yeah, it was it was well over three hours. And there were issues with, you know, how long are we going to keep the theater open? And, you know, the producers yeah. were like, we got to get out of there. By The show didn't end until, you know, I believe we were in overtime, um, um, certainly all through the preview period wow. but maybe even afterwards and then there were issues with the giants ed and there were previews where you know performances had to be stopped there was once and and james would go out and you know make make curtain speeches while we figured out the technology you know the technology and um and 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 once it happened on a day when he wasn't there and 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 i would i I, I can't remember. He had said to me, if it happens, if it happens on Sunday, I won't be there. You go out, make a speech. Just tell everybody, you say, my name is RJ and I'm from Great Neck and you'll be fine. And, uh, <laughs> so I went out and I said, my name is RJ and I'm from Great Neck. And everyone did. Um, so uh, there you go. But um, but I don't I don't remember that number. But again, you know, the 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 pro the. The rehearsal process and the preview process was um, it it was uh, uh, culturally understood that Steve was going to write through this period and James was going to write through this period around what Steve wrote and that's what previews were going to be like because they had been through it. they had been through it and it had worked so there was a lot of faith. There was also a lot of pressure. There was also an enormous amount of expectation. And when the day came and passed and the song or songs hadn't come in, the pressure was was growing and it was Dave and 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 we there we were waiting. Um but I, but that's that's you know, I was one of the waiting, so I can't tell you more than what it was like to be waiting. <laughs> And um, I mean, when you talk about like, certainly, I imagine one of the many boons of having Bernadette leading the company is her having successfully had this, you know, seemingly harmonious collaboration with Sondheim and Lapine just on their previous show is a, a rock of um, if anyone's going to have been there, done that and, you know, exude good vibes it would be Bernadette Peters in that situation that could otherwise be hairy and you know um tense backstage what what about like on the other side like where was there a lot of producerial confidence and support what was the temperature I mean I don't think I think everybody was it's, listen it's a Broadway musical and it's an it's an original Broadway musical and you know it's nobody nobody Everyone is subject to the, the potential of, of a flop. 
you know, of a, of a failure, Every, you know, and everybody's, so the, I don't want to, the environment was, um, was, was, was tense, but everybody was working. There was certainly a lot of love. James was particularly good at kind of keeping the company, uh, um, and it's funny because of course the, you know, there was legend, as James describes in his own book about Sunday, you know, there was a lot of conflict with the cast and there were, that didn't exist. There was tension between them. I mean, Chip and Joanna, you know, you don't want to stand at any point between the two of them because they would, they would, could be fighting at any moment about things. They were like a married couple, but, and they were performing at the absolute peak of their, of their collective powers and they were crushing it constantly crushing it and they loved each other but there was you know they there there it was intense it was all intense and certainly uh the producers wanted a shorter show they wanted a second act that was the you know that something different you know um they were you know they they can they have to speak for themselves but you know they, they you it was not a, a mystery that the that the producers felt the third had questions about the second act, um, and and was it too long and was it too dark and was it too you know, and 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 as I said before, Rocco's not just a, a producer of legend; he was he was a dramaturg of uh, you know of strong opinions. So you know you would and and all those guys were they were used to being. You know they were smart and all that, but James had his vision and he knew what he wanted and he knew what he was going for and and um, and um, and he was the writer and this is the theater, you know, and so he was in charge. Um, it was it was not an uh, uh, you know they they opinions were expressed, but he made the decisions. Um, and as I say, the I remember a lot, you know, uh, the, those days were long. They were so long, and then you'd start up again. You know, you get a few hours sleep, and you'd start up again the next day. And uh, in the preview period, maybe it was four or six weeks, but it was very, it was very intense. Um, uh, and and there was not a lot of certainty, but there was a look. There was so much greatness all the time, and there was the first act which worked, and which you know, and 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 wasn't waiting for songs. And there were these incredible, I mean, you know, we got to see Kim Crosby every night singing, you know, the, the, what, what's on the what's steps her, of the palace, on the steps of the palace or Ben singing giants in the sky. Yeah. I mean, come on, you know, and Danny was incredible. Everybody was great. And there was Bernadette and Chip. I mean, on and on. I mean, and the, and the princes, you know, who were hilarious. And, and, and so it wasn't like people were like, oh no, this show won't work. There was no question about that. It was like, but they, you know, they were all chasing as always uh, uh, greatness. Um, and, and so that's where the, 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 the tension was. Um, and audiences, you, you know, you knew the audience loved it, but you also knew that, you know, when it was long before it came down in time, that it was, that, that, that they would grow tired as the night grew on, um, in, during the preview period. So. I mean, for a lot of the like younger fans today, it may be surprising that the show actually got somewhat mixed reviews, particularly from Frank Rich, even though he'd been such a yeah, it was a disappointment. It was yeah. a disappointment. Yeah. 
what what do you remember the sort of um company or not so much with the cast necessarily but the producers ad meetings were you privy to those kind of conversations with james about moving forward not, past that not no i i i mean i stayed uh uh i, I go a lot <laughs> and um uh but it wasn't i wasn't working after uh the show opened um mm. uh and um I'm trying to, you know, the Frank's, listen, this was a time when all that mattered was a Frank Rich review. And there, and there, there, there hadn't been examples, you know, the way that um, there, there have been examples now, right? Didn't Wicked get bad reviews, you know? So there you go. Um, and uh, and there are a couple of other shows that that you know have have survived the New York Times not loving it. There wasn't a such no such thing in that era. Uh, it, it, was, it was Frank was the you know he was the high executioner, and if he if he gave you the thumbs up as he did with Sunday, you know, and not and and you know I think it was a second review right of his that really did it with Sunday. Yeah. It wasn't. Uh, um, but anyway, or he, somebody else had reviewed it and then he came in, whatever happened, he, he, you know, he, he, he helped make that show. Um, and with Into the Woods, he, he, they, now they, it was a mixed review. It had, it was, it was full of his love. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember John Simon being particularly cruel, but John Simon was always cruel. Right. Um, and, uh. Um, so, uh, I, but you know, it's, it, God knows it survived it. I mean, that, that shows the, that's who hasn't experienced into the woods in their life multiple times. Um, uh, and who, and most people have been in it because that, the, the, the school version of that show is like, it's a, it's a phenomenon. Yeah, uh, will probably always be so. And these, and you know, as as you know, as recently as last year, you know, productions that really uh, touch the heart, move the heart, and and resonate with people. Um, yeah. Deeply. I did so. Did you say that you were done working on it after opening night? That's my memory. Is that I didn't, you know, I'd go by and I'd spend time and I'd say and I, you know, I don't remember taking notes, for instance. Mm-hmm. after pre after previous and so you I, weren't I involved went, my parents came yeah james james bought them a pair of tickets um and uh but i don't remember working after the opening. not with the get the replacement cast or the filming or anything like that the filming yes i remember uh remember i know i was there for the filming of um i I was definitely there for the filming of um uh sunday in the park because that was during this whole time that Mm. sunday filmed uh um final performances um and and i'm i and i do remember being there for into the woods but i I, I, the 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 taping of it uh because james directed um but i don't remember too many specifics about i mean and one thing i'm i want to get more from james on but maybe you'll remember it's it's interesting to me because he didn't direct the cameras for sunday in the park that's right and uh certainly it seems part of the reason that into the woods is so perfectly preserved is because he directed it with such 
uh, intelligence and specificity and knowledge, care, you know. Um, but do you remember? Yeah, any... I did work. I remember working that week or because I, I came back to it. And uh, and you had not yet started to become a, a filmmaker yourself at that point, right? No, I was a young theater director. I moved on to the, the Secret Garden, also produced by uh, the Rocka. Dodgers yeah. and uh, and Heidi. It was really Heidi's show and designed uh, by and, Heidi. and I was designed by Heidi and I directed. We were in. We went to Saratoga and did a workshop, and then we down, wow. went down to Virginia and did a production and and. Uh, and and then Heidi took me out for um, a, a champagne lunch, got me drunk as a skunk, and told me she was replacing me with Susan Schulman. So wow. that was my experience. But you know what? A what? A, listen again. You're talking about this. I was 25, yeah. 26 years old. Yeah. I hadn't even. This was one of the very. That was. Uh, this was my first New York experience, and then Secret Garden was maybe my second or third. So um, it was. It was all pretty good. Uh, I'm I was curious, like in terms of like uh, Lapine, because then he went on to direct a couple of movies shortly after this, and imp impromptu yeah. was very shortly after this. I was wondering if it, if you remember if the if there was any sort of calculus when he was um, going to direct the filming of Into the Woods. Was this part of a, a you know, you mean his career expansion yeah, like and aspiration. Kind of a, yeah, not, 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 I don't, I don't remember us talking about it much at all. I did work. We were working together. Um, uh, impromptu was filmed when uh, Falsetto Land was uh, uh, running off Broadway. So yes. back to James and Bill Finn, and and I, uh, I maintained that show for him. Oh, while wonderful! He was in, while he was in. Uh, in France, shooting uh, impromptu, but that's a whole other podcast, isn't yes. it? Yes, yes, uh, it is. is. The is the falsetto the the falsetto trilogy, and I that's like that's my life story from in trousers through falsetto land into falsettos, all those things. Wow. Um, but uh, but I don't. Um, yeah, I don't. You know, storytelling, storytelling, and. You can imagine why James would have been attracted to filmmaking as uh, narrative filmmaking as he still is. By the way, he's also a documentary filmmaker and has made a, a couple of great films. And he and I are working together on a documentary that he's directing. So uh, well, that's, that's, that's different than the um, one I'm making about Sunday. So oh wow oh well I'll be yeah. curious. He's, he's in the he's he's he you know he's an artist. He's uh, he's yeah. expressing himself always in all ways. Always and always. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I am very much looking forward to your uh, Sunday in the Park with George documentary. I, I think I, you know, certainly that book, putting it together, was the inspiration for me to do this podcast, hungering for that kind of granular um, oral history of of Into the Woods. And um, uh, I'm very excited to to see that project and everything else you do. And so grateful to you for chatting with me about this. It's my great pleasure. And thank you for uh, inspiring uh, me to, to have all these memories because it was a very, it was, a, a you know, a formative experience in all of our lives. And this is, by the way, one of the, what I think is so moving about uh, putting it together about James's book uh, uh, is that, is that it's written from the perspective of uh, uh, older people remembering a moment in their lives that was uh, that was formative, but 
during which they had no idea it was so formative. (laughs) You know, during, they were taking it for granted every, they had no idea how, what they were in the middle of. And now as they're remembering it, they realize, of course, they were in the middle of something so special. And for me, that's what Into the Woods, Into the Woods was. You know, you're talking, they're like, you know, sitting around with James and Steve and James's, I mean, in Steve's uh, townhouse, you're, you're, you're experiencing it all uh, in the moment, you know, my, the friendship that Steve showed to me for, for years, uh, coming to see my shows, sending notes afterwards, you know, when, when, when he and John Weidman wrote uh, Assassins and they needed to put it on their feet for a couple weeks workshop over at Playwrights Horizons, they asked me to do it. You know, they, it was very clear. I was never, I wouldn't be asked to direct it, but there I got to direct the first, you know, wow. 70% of it for two weeks with this incredible cast. And, you know, the, and and there were so many things. And for a kid who was, you know, 25 years old, not even, I was, you know, not even doing the thing that was going to, I would find as my life's calling, but but something that was so formative and defined me in so many ways as an artist and a film and a storyteller and a, um, and a director and all those things and a person. Uh, it was an amazing experience. So I'm grateful to you for asking questions about it. It's, uh, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, really, I mean. I really enjoyed it. Well, we should all take a lesson from that and live in our um, our golden ages, our formative experiences it's in real time. Appreciate right. them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank but you so much. And thank you, RJ. And, uh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Giants in the Sky, how Sondheim and Lapine went into the woods on the Broadway Podcast Network. Look out for episode 50 with Bernadette Peters, the original witch. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.